Just a quick message before we get started. VT Digger's annual membership drive is happening now. And this year, we're partnering with the Vermont Food Bank. Before the pandemic hit, about 1 in 10 Vermonters reported struggling with access to food. In March, that number increased to 1 in 3. So right now, for every donation VT Digger receives, we'll donate the cost of 10 meals to the Vermont Food Bank. Our goal is to inspire 800 members to give so that we can donate 8,000 meals by Thanksgiving. If you want to help out and support facts and food, head to vtdigger.org slash foodbank. Thanks. From VT Digger, I'm Mike Dougherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, as COVID-19 cases surge in Vermont, officials have been reminding well-intentioned Vermonters to take the state's health guidelines seriously. But they've also begun addressing another group of people, skeptics, who believe the government response to COVID-19 is overblown. Good morning, everyone. On Tuesday, Governor Phil Scott opened his press conference with a brief update on the state's recent ban on multi-household gatherings. Then he delivered a message directly to the non-believers. I also want to speak to the skeptics again. Make no mistake. I understand that if you want to ignore the science or choose not to believe it, there's not much we can do to stop you. But I want to be clear, the number of people in hospitals is growing across the country because some care more about what they want to do rather than what they need to do to help protect others. Scott said the goal during this surge remains the same as it was back in March and April, to keep people out of hospitals so the healthcare system doesn't get overwhelmed and lead to unnecessary harm. But he also admitted that this logic might not get through to some people. So, again, the skeptics are right. They can do what they want. But please, don't call it patriotic. Don't pretend it's about freedom. Because real patriots serve and sacrifice for all, whether they agree with them or not. Patriots also stand up and fight for our nation's health insecurity is threatened. And right now, our country and way of life is being attacked by this virus, not the protections we put in place. Who exactly is the governor addressing here? There are those who push back on simple measures like masking and social distancing, although limited data on masking compliance shows that's only about 6% of Vermont's population. But there are also a range of skeptical opinions about COVID-19 proliferating online, ranging from people who believe the economic toll of safety measures outweighs the health risk of the illness, to people who promote disproven conspiracy theories about the virus being a hoax. It's hard to quantify how pervasive these opinions have become and how dangerous they are to public health. But this week, I talked to one researcher who's been trying. If you're looking for partisan advantage, you know, something as obvious as a mask that marks you as this tribe or that tribe is a terrific symbol. The problem is, it's not actually a symbol. It's actually the best technology we have to keep from dying. And that crucial confusion has, uh, well, it's cost at least 100,000 lives. This is Dr. Turner Osler. 
He's an emeritus professor at the University of Vermont Larner College of Medicine and a research epidemiologist. He says part of the reason it's been so easy to sow confusion about this virus is because it really is like nothing the world has ever seen before. We've been on a rocket sled to learn how to take care of patients with COVID. I, I talk to groups about COVID-19, questions, a lot of questions come up, and often I have to say, we just don't know because, you know, we've had six months of experience with this virus. We have other coronaviruses to fall back on, but uh, COVID-19 is an entirely different virus. I mean, it's unlike anything we've seen before. So it's it's fascinating to uh, study it because um, it has so many tricks up its sleeve. It's, it's a worthy foe. What do you mean? What's so unique about it? Well, most diseases are just, you know, what they are. But COVID spans a spectrum from you didn't know you had it to you dropped dead as you walked out to get the ambulance. Hmm. Almost no diseases have that broad spectrum of manifestations. Now, we haven't seen a disease like this since syphilis, you know. Back in the day, syphilis, it was said that if you knew syphilis, you knew medicine because syphilis could present in so many different ways. And COVID, you know, really can do so many different things. It's an astonishing virus. You know, it seems to invade hosts in ways that are particularly um, uh, mean, you know. It slips into the human body and then cuts the wires of the alarm system so it has a day or two or three to start multiplying before the human immune system catches on, hmm. which is this period where the virus can multiply and people don't even know they're sick because if your immune system hasn't noticed, the virus can propagate and you're spreading virus and don't know. You know, And this was a property that no one had really expected. And it's the thing that's made COVID-19 such a dastardly thing to deal with because people can spread it and not know. Right. Given the kind of accelerated timeline that you've talked about in terms of researching and, and trying to figure some things out about it. I mean, what are the main things that we've learned? I mean, even in this short period of time? Well, well, we've learned that, um, I think we probably already knew this, but an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Hmm. We know that, you know, once people become ill with COVID, it's hard to say what's going to happen, no matter how young or how healthy, um, you know, things can go catastrophically wrong. Um, and so really, you know, you, you simply wish never to become involved with this virus. You might be fine, but it's impossible to say. And we're, I guess, relearning what we, what we learned in the pandemic of 1918. You know, masks are the single best technology. I mean, it's astonishing to think that we've been masking ourselves against diseases for at least 100 years. And yet, you know, it's still our best technology. Yeah, we've got vaccines on the way, and that's terrific, but they're not here yet. And um, until they're here, and until you know, we get wide penetrance, we get a lot of people willing to um, be vaccinated, masks are going to be with us um, because they are our single best technology. Dr. Osler said the science is clear that masks work. He said COVID isn't one of these things where a single particle will make you sick, like salmonella. You need a certain number of particles to enter your nasal passages. So if two people wearing masks keep those numbers way down, you're far less likely to get infected in the first place. If you're wearing a mask, first of all, you can't express virus in any quantity because it has to get through the mask. And secondly, if you're wearing a mask and you're in the room with somebody who's shedding virus, not only does it have to get through his mask, it has to get through your mask. 
So if only 10% or 1% gets through his mask and only 1% gets through your mask, these aren't additive. These are multiplicative. Hmm. The amount of virus that gets through is 1% times 1%. So it's a tiny fraction that gets strained out if everybody is wearing a mask. This is why it's so critical that everybody wear a mask whenever they're anywhere with anybody, basically. Got it. It's really pretty simple. And it could have been, and it is simple in most places. Everybody in Japan already wears masks, right? I mean, if they have a cold, they wear a mask just to be polite because why would you want to give somebody your cold? The Japanese understand that's rude. In the United States, uniquely, you know, we, we just turned it into some other thing. You know, we turned it into a, a flag of, of partisanship, which has had catastrophic results. And it's not, it's not going to be easy to walk back. Dr. Osler said there are a few reasons for this. One dates back to early in the pandemic, when the CDC specifically recommended that Americans not seek out masks. When the agency changed that guidance later on, Dr. Osler said it was hard for people to adjust. They said that because they wanted to preserve the supply of masks for people at the tip of the spear. The ER nurses and the ambulance drivers and the people in the ICU got COVID being spewed on them. You want to be sure that those people are protected for two reasons. First of all, if they get sick, you got fewer people to take care of the sick people. And secondly, if you don't protect those people, they may not show up for work. So in order to preserve the mask supply, I think we told a little white lie which is a catastrophic squandering of credibility. Hmm. We've since tried very hard to work, walk that back. Everybody should wear a mask. We've said it many times now. But for those seeking partisan advantage, uh, it's easy to say, yeah, well, before you said you, you, should, you didn't need to wear a mask, so why should we believe anything you say? Our bad. You know, I, I, I think we need radical uh, honesty and clarity of messaging. Because dealing with a pandemic... You know, it's only partly about technology. It's mostly about understanding ourselves and managing our response to the pandemic. You know, if everybody just sat down in their own bathroom and stayed there for two weeks, take some chips and salsa or something, <laughs> the, the, the virus would disappear, right? Because without the ability to spread, it's over, right? You either get it and get well or you get it and die. But either way, the, the virus is out of circulation. Well, it's not really practical, but if everybody wears a mask, you're a long way there. Yeah. This question of tribalism and this becoming a symbol that you either are kind of marked with it or, or not, or marked as not having it. I see what you mean about that being this instant visual cue. I wonder how, how do you go about quantifying what role that plays in how this has become such a divisive issue? Well, that's, that's a sociologic question. I, I can't claim any special expertise there. But um, what we have done is we've uh, cobbled together a database from available public resources, the New York Times, Johns Hopkins, places like that, so that we can kind of get a handle on some of these issues. The New York Times very helpfully put out a poll where they polled a half a million people asking whether they wore a mask always, usually, sometimes, rarely, or never, and recorded the results county by county. And now we have data at the county level about who's wearing masks. And we also have lots of other data at the county level about the average age and you know, the number of people who you know, work in factories and, 
and uh, the number of people who voted for Donald Trump and then and the number of, and whether or not the governor of that state is a Republican, lots and lots of, of different pieces of information about every county. And so you can very quickly find that one of the most powerful predictors of whether someone is going to wear a mask is whether there are a lot of people in that county who have or are, are dying with COVID-19. People are smart. If the people around them are dying, everybody puts on a mask. So, you know, these kinds of things are not surprising. You know, we, we, we went through a number of variables and most of the variables make sense. Hmm. The variable that shocked us was when we looked at percentage of people who voted for Donald Trump, which we have for every county in the country. And it turned out that counties were most people voted for Donald Trump had very low rates of mask wearing, as low as 60%. Hmm. Counties where people voted overwhelmingly against Donald Trump had rates of mask wearing that were as high as 95%. So there's this very, very clear distinction that uh, in places where um, Donald Trump is revered, wearing of masks is much less common. And it's, it's been catastrophic. You can compute how many deaths are added on to the toll and find that um, the business of refusing to wear masks has cost tens of thousands of lives. Another study Dr. Osler recommended took place at the University of Chicago. Researchers compared outcomes for people who watched two back-to-back Fox News shows, hosted by Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity. This could be serious. How likely is an epidemic in the United States? Are we ready for it if it comes? How many could die? Carlson told his viewers to take COVID seriously, while Hannity was skeptical. Should you and your family be concerned? Of course. You should be concerned about the flu. You should be concerned about a cold. You should be concerned about any health risk. And by doing careful analysis, they found an immense increase in the number of deaths for people who watched Hannity versus Tucker Carlson. Because it's on the same network, an hour apart, you know, all of the all of the math gets simple because there's there's not much of comparison and adjustment you have to do. But what they showed very clearly is if people are systematically told things which are not true from sources that they trust, they will behave in ways that in retrospect are irrational, dangerous, even fatal. And you have to ask, well, you know, why is it that a population is willing to accept information that's false. One other variable that we have in our data set is uh, level of education, which we have in the data set as percentage of kids who finish high school. turns out that's one of the most powerful predictors for wearing masks. In areas where, you know, kids finish high school, people are much more likely to wear masks as opposed to places where people don't. So it may be that ventilators aren't the answer and even vaccines aren't the answer. It may be that more valedictorians is the answer. You know, a better educated population that behaves coherently in the face of something as dangerous as COVID-19, despite disinformation, misinformation from, from sources, is probably the, the best way to protect a population. You know, more valedictorians, more access to education seems great, but it seems like in the short term that you would need to take these findings and really apply them towards getting good public health information to people who just aren't getting it right now. How do we do that? Or how do health officials do that? Well, um, where is Dr. Fauci when we need him? I'll tell you where. He's muzzled under somebody's desk. I mean, we have people who can tell this story very well, and they've been muzzled. 
I think getting a new team that brings their A game will help a lot. We have some A-level players now. I mean, Fauci has seen us through several other epidemics, but they've been they've been benched. You know, the the the, the COVID response force at the White House hasn't met in months, right? You know, we're headed for 2,000 deaths a day. Think on that for a moment. That's 9-11 every day. It is difficult to get your brain wrapped around the enormity of that. I mean, we spent a trillion dollars and fought a couple of wars over 9-11, and it only happened once. You know, it's, it's, it's breathtaking, really. But do you think that that change in administration is enough? Do you think that they'll be able to rebuild that trust that seems to have been lost among this sector of the population? I know that they will do their best. The incoming team will do the best they can. Nobody goes into public health for the fame and and money because that's just not how how it works. So they'll do their best. And I think, you know, we have the tools. You know, there's a vaccine on the way and, and we understand masking and this and that. My concern is that, um, you know, the disinformation machine is a harder thing to turn off. You know, that's a, that's a heavier lift. Um, you hope that social media will somehow find a way to find and excise posts that are really dangerous and harmful. And I'm sure that the people who are putting up these posts believe what they are saying. But propagating falsehood when people are dying in large numbers seems like something that we ought to have a remedy for. Well, thanks so much, Turner, for your time. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thanks again, Mike. Take care. You can read more about Turner Osler's research at vtdigger.org and find all of our COVID-19 coverage at vtdigger.org coronavirus. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We used music this week by Blue Dot Sessions and Chad Crouch. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger newsroom. See you then.